this is Rashonda Thornton, the Dietitian Against Diets podcast show. I am excited to introduce you to my new monthly panel series called Heart and Grit, Conversations with Mindful Leaders. Now, through these conversations, you will be able to connect to the trials and tribulations that they struggle, but also recognizing the success they've had in their lives. Thanks to Midwest Dairy, every month I will be joined by a different dynamic set of leaders who have done all the footwork behind the scenes, but they have done it with the passion and with their heart. This is an opportunity to connect with their stories, learn their struggles, and celebrate their successes. But most of all, find a way to connect to your life and how this could be an inspiration to you. Okay, so welcome again to the Dietitians Against Diets podcast show, but this is our monthly panel called Heart and Grit, where we are having thoughtful conversations with thoughtful leaders. And this month is April. And for those who don't know, this is actually a month where we create a celebration of our sustainability practice and in life of National Earth Day. So we're going to take a moment to understand how the impact of how impactful sustainability is in our world and the future of it. And also we want to share environmental progress that's being made on the farm, to the communities, and in the businesses. But this time we're actually putting a twist to what sustainability really means um, from an industry you may not actually be familiar with or recognize the work that they've been doing. Um, it is great, as always, as we learn how to be familiar with the works of everyone that puts in their hands and their foots into recapturing, recycling, and protecting our environment. So I want to introduce my panel guest today, and also I want to introduce my uh, podcast uh, sponsor for this particular panel, Midwest Dairy Farmers. Um, not sure if you know, but they have been dedicating themselves to sustainability practices, um, such as one of their biggest um, projects called Honor the Harvest Project, where their efforts are to alleviate food insecurities, improve community vitality, and conserve natural resources. They are all about working together so food is never wasted. So go to the website at www.com, US Dairy, and learn more about what they have been doing. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to my podcast panel today. So I have first with me Janice Person. She is the owner of Grounded Communications, LLC, and she's also a podcast host of Grounded by the Forum. I also have with me Chef Anthony Devotee. He is the owner and chef of J. Devotee, I always say this, pronounce it wrong, Traticata. How do you pronounce it? Chatoria. Chatoria, yeah, and grocery. And if you're in St. Louis... Please go by and visit his restaurant. And last but not least, I have Miss Jessica Connick. She is the founder of Mount Indigo, which is a sustainability fashion line. So again, we have some moving pieces, some unique organizations and companies that are putting their uh, best foot forward to uh, ensure our sustainability practice in our world. So now take a deep breath. I want to say thank you guys for being on the show today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Great. Yes. Yes. So we're going to just jump into it because um, there's so much to talk about and I want to give everybody a breath of talking about what they do and not necessarily what to do, but why and how. So I would say that I am very sure that all of us can say there we have an entrepreneur hat where we are doing something on our own or we ventured out and just kind of create our own passion. Um, and so I'm going to talk about talk about like how, you know, you when I always talk about leaders and leadership we always see the leaders, but we really never, never really kind of talk through them, the threading of how they got to where they're at. And so mm -hmm. that's the importance of this panel because it helps people, it helps viewers to really connect and understand your stories, your successes and your struggles. So we're going to talk about how your decision has paved your pathway um, to where you're at now. And Janice, I'm going to start with you. You know, we had an opportunity okay. to chit chat over the phone um, and we talked about, you know, you have a background in communications um, and 
I know one thing is connected to agricultural industry, you know? Yep. So, but for you, as you're, you know, continuously, where you were continuously in that position, what light bulb moment happened that brought these two worlds together when you uh, found that you found a way to successfully connect consumers to the lovers of the land, like our farmers? You know, it's so funny because I think my mom would say I'm like chef's daughter in the background. I was a born communicator, right? Like I couldn't shut up. Um, (laughs) But really, I found I loved communications very early. I loved to learn things and then tell other people about them. And I loved, you know, being around other people and sharing stories. And so I always wanted to combine that with my love of making the world a better place. And I wasn't sure where that would happen, but a friend of our family worked in agricultural magazines. So I got a job there when I was in college and was lucky enough to be able to pursue that. And the first farm I ever went to, this gentleman took me out in his pickup and dug up the soil and started telling me all these things about his soil and what he was doing to care for that land, how he wanted it to be better for his grandchildren and stuff. And I'm telling you, it was like he was just real in because <laughs> I've always been really interested in the environment and I didn't know that much about soil. So he was helping, like he was like helping me be an explorer, I thought for like National Geographic or something. It was perfect. <laughs> and now I've spent my whole career there but a lot of times when I tell those stories to my friends and family, because we're city people, I mean, I, I love cities. I grew up in Memphis. I lived in uh, suburban New York. Now I live here in St. Louis. Um, I also lived in a town of 600 for a long time. Oh, and wow. so I would tell these stories to my family and friends and they would be, get out. I can't believe it. And these experiences of like going to an avocado farm or whatever, you know, going to a dairy farm, my family would be, tell me more, tell me more. And so when I started my own business, I decided I was going to do a podcast Mm -hmm. that would share those kinds of stories beyond my family. Yeah. And that's what Grounded by the Farm is. Yeah. And that's so, it's so, you know, it's unique how you didn't foresee this or you didn't foresee yourself in this, you know, in this (laughs) realm of it. And, but you, it gleaned from your past, you know, unknowingly, you know, from the stories. And now you're bringing these stories, you're creating a platform to bring these stories. And you're essentially, like you say, there are a lot of people that are interested or some people may not even know that they are interested. So bringing some, a simple way to infuse yourself into people's ears allows them to kind of reconnect to something that's very valuable. And that is, you know, our ground, our land. So, and also gives the voice for those, your people you're interviewing to talk about that. So I think you're, you're finding your way in the middle right there. So sounds like a, it's, it's a good place to be. Yeah. Well, and you and I both know people really love food, right? So, (laughs) you know, all of us, in some way kind of touch that connection and you know whether you're growing it or you're like me you're mainly an eater or a chef or whatever you know we all have a place in food yeah and speaking of eating it and being in it um chef anthony you this is your baby you know this is you are actually the the i guess you're the middleman between the farmer and the consumer you know but for you personally you know even for your restaurant, I know um, the farm to table concept, um, which is connecting, you know, consume, I'm sorry, it's connecting um, people to food that actually comes from the farmers. Um, and that's kind of like the identity of your restaurant. Um, but I know it didn't just pop up. That idea, you just wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you want to do this, right? So no, no, when no. it, yeah. 
So, like, how has your education, training, and experience paved this way for you to lead this endeavor um, and building, like, kind of like this eco, this food ecosystem locally? Well, I, I went to school in New York, and then uh, from there I worked back in St. Louis for a bit, and I realized when I was here there weren't really farm-to-table restaurants. Uh, you had Lou Rook doing some stuff at Annie Guns, and then you had the guys at Harvest mm-hmm. who were doing stuff way back, and Steve Gontram, and these guys were doing, like, Kind of cool stuff, but on it, some of the stuff was local, and some of the stuff was bought, you know, from a big, a big box kind of place. Um, and I was like, "There's no real farm-to-table restaurants, like straight farm-to-table." Uh, Andy Ayers was doing a ton of stuff when he had Riddles, kind of, kind of way back in the day. And I looked here, I was like, "I really want to do this." And then it got to the point where I was like, "Well, I think I want to open a restaurant." <laughs> and I'd been working in restaurants since I was 15, and it was like, uh, "But I'm not really done." training like i need to keep learning i'm not there yet so i packed all my stuff and i moved to san francisco and i worked at zuni cafe and it was really there that like i had this thing that i really wanted to do but then that was like oh man i i, I this is like an endless thing and now we're not in san francisco so the, the you know you can't get the products that you get all year around like they do mm-hmm. so the ever-changing menu was something that was great. I mean, I'd worked in restaurants and it was like, you cook the same damn thing every day. And it's like, this changed everything. I was like, oh man, uh, there's nothing like this in St. Louis. Let's do it. So we started um, in 2006 in the Grove and then we moved to the Hill and we were five bistro back in those days. And it was like, I'm going to go to the farmer's markets and talk to people. I mean, I remember making calls like straight away and was like, hey, um, I'm opening a restaurant and would you grow some stuff for me? And the farmers hmm. were like, um, no. And I thought I was you were like, going to say yes. Oh, really? <laughs> and like, no, no. You chef people, you guys come around all the time and everybody wants to do farm to table stuff. And then you realize it costs money and yeah. then you bail on me. And I was like, we're not doing it. And so it was this like, you had hmm. to build these relationships. So I would go to the farmer's market every weekend. And I hate going to farmer's markets now. It's like, it's like, got this thing to me, but I have these people, they just, they bring stuff to me and, but you build these relationships and like, to me, food and sustainability is that relationship. It's that relationship with the farm. It's that, it's that shovel of soil that they're showing you and running their hands through and telling Mm -hmm. you about it. They know it, they love it and they want you to love it. And so if you have somebody, you know, I'm a nerd, so I'm totally down. I will nerd out with farmers and farms and vegetables till the end, you know? So I think in in a nutshell, that's sort of where it all came from and how I got to where we are today. And then we changed our concept to uh, Jay Devotee Trattoria to really just kind of, um, kind of open the doors to a bit more people. You know, five was pretty ultra fine dining. We were, you know, it was 50 to 75 bucks a person, I mean, to walk in the door. And we wanted something, we were talking about my kids for a second earlier. It's like, uh-huh. I wanted something where my kids could come eat Family and hang out. Family. And they couldn't really do that at the other spot. You know, it was a little too formal, white tablecloth. And now it's like, they can come and you can bring your kids and have a pizza and a pastas and everything's flour from local farms, eggs from local farms. You know, everything that we do is still that local vegetables, mm-hmm. local meats, small menu, focusing on doing things right and knowing where we get our food from. And I think that people are wanting that. 
in one in a more you know genuine way because it kind of goes back when you're talking about like going to the farmers markets. Like I assume they're like, oh yeah, let's let's do it. But they're like they got burnt out because it's sometimes people just wonder because it sounds cool. But you literally had a passion for it, and, and you you know you're you were digging your heels in deep. Like you're going to utilize fresh local produce to be your restaurant. You know, so that that's yeah, I mean, it's, it's super romantic to be like, oh well, <laughs> what do you want to do this Saturday? It's like, oh, we're gonna go to the farmers market and pick out vegetables. You know, it's like, yeah, all right, that's that's cool. That sounds we like too fun. many movies. <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Oh yeah. man, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, I'm going to move it along a little bit and just to bring you into the conversation. Um, Janice was actually, and thank you, Janice, in advance. She was a lady that introduced, you know, you, what you do um, and thought that, you know, you'd be a great addition. And when I learned and went to your website, I was like, wow, I didn't, didn't even think about this as sustainability, you know? And uh, and I know like your the name of your company, it has a unique name, but I know it has a purpose to it because it, you know, unless it's just one of those names where you just, one of your relatives names was and just kind of came together but I, I always know names represent different things so I'm curious to see your uh, company is called Mount Indigo um, and so like what is the story behind that and kind of tell us too about like how like where along your career path um, you saw the need and decided this will be your focal point you know to create change and create awareness in the realm of sustainability. Well it's so funny that we started the conversation talking about food because Food and agriculture was kind of the start of my sustainable fashion journey also. Um, but I've worked in the fashion industry in marketing for years now. Um, but I also was raised by a scientist. My mom works at WashU as a scientist. And I've always been the one that's like getting made fun of for being like the hardcore recycler of all my friends. And <laughs> then I was in this, you know, quote unquote, like really frivolous career in in fashion and they never really seemed to like go together but i like love marketing um and love you know the business of creativity and things like that and so um a few years ago i saw a documentary called the true cost and it's really the true cost of fashion and it kind of goes behind the scenes of the industry and points out that it actually is one of the worst polluting industries in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's what I what was interesting that I kind of took from what both of you know the previous um, speakers just mentioned is the relationship that farmers have um, with their land and with the food that they're producing, and then even chefs and consumers with the food that they're eating. And like the more you have that relationship, the more that people care. And I think that is what I realized was missing from fashion was that there literally is like pretty much no relationship, um, you know, between like our clothes. Like I literally have no idea where this shirt was made. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it was really made out of. Like I could look at the tag, but that doesn't really tell me much. Um, and you realize that when you peel it all back behind the scenes, that the industry is actually like really rooted in um, just like horrible practices. We've pretty much outsourced like the production of most of our clothing. Um, they're made with toxic chemicals and bad practices. The people that are making them are not treated well. And there's this whole chain of Mm. like really sad stories that create these beautiful clothes that we have. And we don't even realize that. Um, so that's kind of what the documentary pointed out. And after I saw it, I was kind of like, Oh crap. Yeah. Like, Big like eye part of this. Yeah. And I was never someone that cared about labels. So I was always the one that was like, oh, I just like went to that, you know, store and got like 10 shirts for cheap instead of buying one for, you know, really expensive. And I was just thinking, like, oh my gosh, I'm part of the problem in so many mm. ways. 
what can I do to be part of the solution? And um, what's funny is I had I had had connections with the local bio um, technology industry here in St. Louis um, in the past, and I hadn't really like. I hadn't dived into that before. And then all of a sudden, when I started looking into sustainable fashion, realizing that it really starts so much with agriculture, that's kind of where I started out with was really diving into what was going on with um, with biotech here in St. Louis, whether it was with cotton or with indigo. So mm-hmm. the name Mount Indigo actually came from a project that the Danforth Plant Science Center is huh. working on to create sustainable um, natural indigo to hopefully be able to be affordable enough for companies to replace with the toxic chemical indigo that they're now using to dye jeans and things like that. And that's how I met Janice, because she was an amazing speaker at a panel that I did called Farm to Fashion, where we really did look at um, agriculture and how that relates to fashion, um, focusing a lot on cotton and then that indigo project and just other things. So just kind of finding those connections um, of how it really all comes together and how it, we as consumers, whether it's through the food that we're eating or the clothes that we're wearing, really every little choice makes a difference. And so Mount Indigo started and um, as kind of just as um, like a passion project that I have. Mm-hmm. It's a sustainable fashion startup and I upcycle, use denim jackets and print um, statements on the back and do artwork on the back. And then I have some eco-friendly tees also. Yeah. Yeah. So I see you know. get the word out there, but in a fun way. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And again, you just seen how all of this is still connected and it makes so much sense because earth, no matter what, you have to go back to it. So we get gain from it. Then we have to keep it going so we can continue to, you know, take care of it. So I love that there's a connection between all three of us as far as this conversation and how sustainability is really, you know, holistic and comes full circle. So we're going to talk about actually like how you, you know, you all three have different lenses and, you know, mainstream, there's a way of looking at sustainability, but, you know, I want to talk to you guys individually, like how do you see sustainability playing a role in your life and in life generally? And Chef, I'm going to bring the microphone back to you. Um, when you think about, you know, when I go to any restaurant, I always love to go to restaurants that I know that some of their ingredients or some of their foods are like um, gleaned from a local farm um, or like a cohort. So it like lets me know like I'm finding some way to support <laughs> if that just makes me feel good or not. Um, but I know many people, you know, know that farm to table means, know what it means. And sometimes it's a buzzword, but I know it's more to preservation practices that you probably do outside of just the food component um, that customers don't really recognize, they don't really see. Uh, can you speak about that and like what dedicated efforts, you know, have you seen the farmers that you've been talking about, like really have jumped in and been a part of your network to make sure that you're, you're successful in your expansion of your restaurant and your whole mission of um, sustainability and food in, in your food ecosystem? Sure. Um, I think for us as a restaurant, you know, we really try to focus on, uh, you know, that, that farm to table thing is a, is a big belief for us and it always has been. And knowing the farmer and then now you, you're kind of getting into things of where uh, farm to table for a long time was kind of a buzzword. And it's became a thing where I think a lot of people were saying they were farm to table and putting farms in their restaurant, but they really weren't. And now it's, it's getting easier because you have some of these guys um, – and again, I'm going to say Andy Ayers, bring him up again, and Preston Walker, who uh, are here in St. Louis, who help distribute some of these farmers where they didn't have necessarily, you know, it was like they go to the farmer's market. And that was like 
how they would get rid of, you know, or, you know, their product and how they would sell and, and do all that. Now you have guys that will help them distribute their product locally where it's one stop and, and a bit more streamlined and getting people out. Um, for mm-hmm. us, we do only foods that are in season. All of our vegetables are all locally grown. So everything that we use is a local product. Um, I, I say everything, we get Parmigiano Reggiano and we get you know some <laughs> olive oils and things like that, but that's sort of the way it works. Um, we also have two different gardens that we have. Plus I have a garden at my house and um, loads of fruit trees. Like, So this isn't just a, oh wow, yeah, this is cool. This is like, it's my job, it's my hobby, it's like it's my passion, <laughs> it's what I yeah. do on the weekends. I pick berries with my kids in the yard, we pick fruit, you know, they get kind of fussy when it's, you know, uh, cherry tomato day and we have to go, you know, pick cherry tomatoes for 45 minutes in <laughs> August and it's hot and you're plucking one off it's at a time. Yeah, it's it's family time. That's what I, that's always what I say. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think trying to grow our own food, knowing where our food comes from. That's you know when uh when I post something on Instagram, that's one of the things I always say is know where your food comes from, yeah. know who makes your food, yeah. know how it gets from point A to point B. It's cool to have an organic apple, but if you're eating that organic apple and the apple is grown in Oregon and it comes to St. Louis. You're sort of defeating the purpose of carbon footprints and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, you're burning a lot of fossil fuels or whatever you're using to get it from point A to point B. So if you know where your food comes from, it really puts you, I feel like in a better spot altogether. Plus, you know, your farmer, you know how they treat their food, you know, how they treat their animals. I mean, if, if you're a, if you're a meat eater, I feel, you know, uh, that you should probably know how your animals are being raised and mm-hmm. the guy that's raising them. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big thing. It's a pretty big deal for nose to tail. So it's all, we use every bit. You know, when you said, well, one thing I do want to say is that like, I'm glad that you talked about like the organic component, but then understanding if you get organic and it's from California or from another part of the world, then we're kind of like, yeah, it's like we're like defeating, like we're breaking even or we're defeating the purpose. So like really like recognizing organic and local is how you organic do it. And local. I mean, and I, I think uh, it was kind of touched on in the fashion industry, you know, you know, these, who's picking your vegetables. Is it mm-hmm. some poor guy who's out there, sweating his ass off and getting paid by the the bushel or is it your farmer who that money's going to go right to him and it's not you don't have to like beat the crap out of somebody to get your yeah. green beans to your table you know yeah yeah that's important and as a matter of fact I'll throw this in there because it's one thing I I went and visit uh I think it was a year ago I went and visit you know I'm from the city I'm from Houston Texas so like there aren't really farms around me, but being in the Midwest, um, I've been able to like go to some dairy farms. And like one thing that stood out to me is it's, it's the farming practices. I'm literally seeing cows and seeing how they're doing things and all things they're doing to continue to sustain from animal care all the way down to their, their, their soils and recycling the water. The farmer said one thing that he was like the most highlighted part of the time I was there. He said, happy cows make happy milk. So that means like, they make sure, like you talk, like they're treating the animal well. The animals in comfortable environments because 
you know, you want to take care of your animals because they're going to take, they're going to create the product that's going to be most healthy for the consumer. So like, it just kind of goes back to your point, like, know who's picking your, you know, who's raising your animals, who's picking, you know, doing the, the who's picking the, the vegetables. Like that's pretty important. So yeah. yeah. It's called good and proper husbandry for a reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Love it. Love it. Um, Jessica, I'm Janet. have not forgotten about you. You're well, we'll bring you back. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, you know, I, and you, and you know, you highlight a few things you're talking about, like the working conditions and like the harmful chemicals and things like that. Again, like it's, it's shopping is just like going to the grocery store. Like you're just getting, because it's a cute colors, cute cut someone, on social media and movie has a cute outfit. So you're just following, you know, like it's not, there's not a like connection to what you're putting on your body. So if they're not a connection, you don't create, hold a value. Right. Um, totally. So like, it, you know, when we think about your lenses, you know, when fashion comes to mind, again, people don't think about that sustainability component. You know, what are some unseen areas where clothing contributes to, like you said, polluting to our planet? And um, how does that affect us from an individual person all the way to a, a you know, macro level? I think one of the things that um, really stands out to me with it is kind of like out of sight, out of mind, going back to that missing relationship um, that's there where we don't actually know where our clothes are coming from. And kind of like you said at the grocery store, you really don't know where a lot of that produce is coming from um, or its history, even if it has like an organic label or this label or that label, you really don't know behind the scenes unless you know the farmer. Um, so yeah, there's so, there's such a relationship between grocery shopping and shopping for your clothes. Um, but really, you know, since we have outsourced the majority of our um, apparel manufacturing industry, we've really outsourced a lot of those negative effects as well. So we don't see them, you know, when we're shopping these pretty clothes on the rack or online. Um, but really just so much of it boils down to the toxic chemicals that are used to dye mm -hmm. and treat our clothes, um, to the practices that are used in the factories, and then, um, you know, the, not only the factory workers are exposed to chemicals or harsh working conditions, but that really affects their local villages as well, because that water that's leaving the factories or the pollution in the air often isn't taken wow. care of like it should. So it's polluting the local, you know, the local town, the local city's water supply. They, they say that um, in some places where there's a lot of apparel factories, you know what the end color of the season is, because that's the color of like the local streams from all the dyes that are running off. Um, so just, there's so many effects that affect, yeah, not only the workers, but then their, their villages and it, you know, it just kind of runs the gamut, but then even to us wearing the clothes, you know, there's so many things, you know, I know this affects the food industry too. There's so many um, issues that people have nowadays and conditions that children are being born with that weren't as big of a deal in the past. And they're like, what, you know, why is all of this? And then they're thinking, well, we're wearing all these clothes that have these toxic chemicals on them. It's like going into our skin. You know, there's all these things that they don't know. They don't really know what's causing a lot of issues, but there are a lot of things that they do know that are toxic. So they're trying to their best to kind of get rid of these in the supply chain, mm -hmm. but it's really expensive. The fashion industry is one of kind of like the most outdated industries. Things just kind of work the way they've always worked and a lot of slow to turn. Yes. And a lot of companies don't even really know what their supply chain is because it's such a murky supply chain. Um, so it's one of those things where it really takes 
and this is finally happening happening now, but it takes a lot of brands, even brands that are competing against each other to come together and to help each other to make sustainable practices cheaper. Um, I'm sure okay. that Janice has seen this, you know, in the cotton industry, and this happens in the food industry too, you know, where you can get a bunch of companies together to go in on sourcing a product and, you know, then it's cheaper for everyone. So there's a lot of partnership in that. And then just having the customer more aware of the fact that, oops, this is a problem. Now we're realizing it. So now we have to fix it. And as customers, we can like really make a huge difference just by deciding, mm -hmm. you know, where we buy from. Because a lot of companies are up front now and bragging about what you know what their sustainability practices are but then also just like buying more used clothes making sure that you're donating your clothes when you're done with them instead of throwing them away like my husband always will like i'll find like old t-shirts and stuff in the trash and i'm like bring it off it's going in the donate bin like so what can wear that Sometimes, but like we don't throw clothes away and so um so yeah and then just you know checking ourselves twice before we buy something because we probably don't need it but if we're yeah. gonna buy it let's buy it sustainably or buy it used wow wow you know i think that i'm gonna have to post i'm gonna post that the link to that that um the special that you're talking about because i think that will kind of seems like some of the things you're talking about i think people can probably get some of that from just watching that alone yeah and, just and there's see a lot them. of documentaries out there which is so great now to tap into yeah we'll have to get a list of those because i i definitely i want myself want to know but it's like the way you're describing it's like things we haven't even thought about like how it's affecting you know and i just think that's so important to at least just know so that we can like again that's how the consumers can you know really start turning the table on that and kind of getting those companies to be more transparent and getting them to do the research to figure out where everything's coming from. So yeah, wow, that's, that's pretty heavy. Um, okay, so uh, Janice, I'm gonna give you a chance they, um, to chat a bit because you're using your, uh, what you do for a living, using your platform, you know? Um, and I know when yeah. it comes to messaging, um, influence, education, all that's like vital. That's what we're talking about right now. We're learning mm -hmm. things that we probably wouldn't just pick up in a newspaper on Instagram feed, you know? Um, but, you know, with your podcast and I mean, your social media projects that you do, what are some examples of ways you have used your, you know, your platform to bring awareness? And, you know, if even so, like, again, you talked about like your story, you know, getting into the agricultural yeah. component of it. But like, why is it so important to you that you're like have created a podcast, you're creating everything like this where people can, you know, start to learn to start to, you know, learn how to make changes? Yeah, you know, um, as somebody in communications, I know that when we hear bad things, it takes like so many more positive things to put that bad thing out of your mind, right? So if somebody's really critical of me today, um, somebody else could be really friendly and say great things for the next five days, and I'll probably come back to the really critical thing, right? And so I've worked in agriculture for three decades now, and I know there are bad actors out there, but I've traveled to hundreds and hundreds of farms. I've been wow. in farms on almost every state. Um, I did not do that when I was in Alaska, darn it. And I probably <laughs> should have, but that was before I got quite so deep. But in, in, in Hawaii, I did. That was really good huh. um, to go to. But I think, you know, getting those stories from farmers. So I know farmers from like, Tony Tomato, who maybe you guys buy from here in St. Louis. He's got great uh, hoop houses and stuff outside of town and does great vegetables here in St. Louis. All the way to like 
a farmer in California who grows for sriracha sauce. He grows mm. all the hot peppers that go in sriracha sauce, right? And I think having some of those farmers be able to tell their stories is where I felt I had a place. Like, I know those farmers, right? Not everybody's going to be like Anthony Anthony and go and meet all these farmers. Or Jessica hasn't been out on farms in uh, cotton areas. We need to do that sometimes so much. Um, But, you know, there are farmers now who grow for Wrangler and have the genes that carry their state all the way through. And Wrangler has made a big commitment on that through the Better Cotton Initiative. But these farmers that are doing amazing things on soil. So I'm sure the chef is really familiar. There's things called cover crops where it's like, In the winter, you don't want just dirt there because the rain would wash the dirt Mm -hmm. into the streams and that would be bad. So you want the the roots and you want the plants out there and you want to let them just kind of die off when it's time to plant your next crop, right? And you want to leave those roots there because that helps pull the water down into the soil a lot like a sponge does, right? Like those little holes from the roots when they die, Mm -hmm. pull that water in. And and a lot of farmers are doing something called no-till to make all of that work really well so they don't go in with the big tractors that stir up all the dirt and make these crazy clouds so bad. Um, but they leave the dirt there and that makes the earthworms happier and the earthworms keep making the soil healthier. That's one of them that's used all the way from like cotton farms that we were talking about to the pepper farms to the farms that are growing all the feed for dairy farms. So a lot of dairy farmers are doing that. Hmm. Um, But there's also a lot of things that I think we don't understand, you know, like you just don't think about. If you like beer, you know, we know a lot of beers come from grains. Well, when they do that, there's some things that are left over that aren't really useful. Like, and we call them brewer's grain in Mm -hmm. (laughs) ag because you can use that and feed it to animals. And so finding ways to take those things that are byproducts, maybe, you know, it's like cotton seed that's been pressed to get the oil out of it. You can feed that also to animals and it provides them a very specific thing that their diet needs because animals on farms have nutritionists, just like people like have you, Rashonda, in their life. So um, there's a lot of those things kind of come together. Okay. Now, it's, and I think that's, again, it's, there you go. That's your answer. Like, <laughs> it's so much enriching and valuable information out there that stores that, as consumers, we're so detached from. And not only for us to hear it as consumers, but also give those farmers and all the awesome things they're doing and very resourceful ways that they're practicing, like, bring that to the table. Because I'm sure that'll be fun conversation because I'm sure they're in love with talking about it. And, I mean, I bet it's a very fun, um, dynamic conversation that you have with these different farmers. And also, Penny puts the face to the farmer so people yeah. recognize their personalities, their you know their their passion behind, it, and it helps that you know those viewers, listeners, like really want to try to support them and be a part of like what they're really doing. So I thought you have taken advantage of um, your your passion and your expertise and kind of open up this space for others. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're talking about farmers. We're going to take a quick break. And we're going to show a quick video to highlight some of the sustainability practices that the dairy farmers have been doing. And I think you'd be quite surprised at what you see. For centuries, dairy farmers have been going green. In a way, they're the original environmentalists with a commitment to further reducing their carbon footprint. For example, Laura turns manure into natural fertilizer. Brian converts methane into power for his farm and community. And Lindsay recycles water for crop irrigation. Sustainably nutritious and undeniably delicious. 
Undeniably dairy. Love what's real. All right, so we're back. We're back and back. Bring up coming back. I hope you guys enjoyed that uh, quick, short um, commercial. Uh, we're going to now, as we're moving forward, we're getting kind of close to the back end of our conversations, unfortunately. I'm like, we need to make this an hour because time is just <laughs> moving too fast. Um, but I want to talk about now is like everything that everyone is saying, I'm just seeing the passion just radiating out, you know? And so behind, behind any good work comes, and that passion comes strife. Things are not always as easy as they seem. Um, so Jessica, you know, as a businesswoman, you know, um, there is a good helping and a mixture of passion mixed with challenges. And sometimes they kind of go back and forth with, play, with like a tug of war situation. Um, knowing your passion sits behind um, creating alternatives to close wastage. What are um, some of the most damaging areas that are overlooked and taken for granted in respects to not necessarily the, the, the makers, but the people? I would say, you know, that's honestly one of the saddest things that, um, you know, when I was digging into sustainability from an environmental standpoint, that I really realized um, from a social standpoint, you know, there's so many groups of people that are um, just really abused in the making of our clothing. And again, it's one of those things that's kind of out of sight, out of mind for us. There are people in other countries that we don't know, that we don't see, and we just think, oh, that's what that looks like in that country, you know, and that's mm -hmm. what that looks like in that factory setting. And then when you hear their stories and you just see the conditions they're working in, it's like, I almost can't even talk about it that much because it will make me emotional. Like you just, you realize how terrible it is. And um, that's, that's when that title of that documentary, the true cost kind of hits you. Cause you're like, that's the true cost mm. of that cheap shirt that you got. <laughs> you were, you know, that someone complimented you on and you were like, Oh, it was only $10 or, you know, like <laughs> that's the true cost. So not only is it long-term affecting the planet but on a on a short-term basis you know and in someone's real life it's affecting lives and you know even though people in those countries you know might live differently than us so their standards of living might be just different than ours in general they're still being treated so poorly even for what's considered you know a decent standard of living in their country um when we could afford to pay a little bit more for that yeah. or that company could afford to make a little bit less of a margin to pay those yeah. people decently and a little bit would go such a long way like 10 more cents here mm -hmm. and there or whatever would make such a difference to them so um so i think that's one of the things that is really forgotten about is that it's not sustainability isn't just about the environment but it's also just about how real people are treated the people yeah yeah that was that you brought it home with that yeah yeah um janice um you know, in the in the industry of in, not entertainment, but just communications, you know, having to be, you know, it's all about your personality. I say it all the time. People like your personality. They like you. They trust you. And that's how things expand. Um, but you have to be creative and you have to, like, be interesting. Um, and so, like, when, you know, when you're doing, you, you decide to go into this and create your own um, business, like, what has been, like, some of your business, um, business biggest biggest struggles like professionally, personally, and like, what, what did you do to overcome that, that and use your, as use your passion wow. what drove you out or drove you, you know, through? There is so much to do when you're the entrepreneur, right? So I used to have a full-time corporate job and, and some of this was like my side hustle. Um, but you know, now it's like, wait, I'm paying people to do work for me. That means I have to have all the accounting done, right? I have to do all the, you know, so 
making sure you find the expertise that you need to pay for and making sure you develop yourself in the areas where you think you're capable of doing things, right? So I'm not capable of being a CPA. My, you know, I love words and pictures, but numbers, not so much. But I can do some of the basic stuff that keeps me from paying my accountant a lot more than I need to. So let's focus on what I can do there. And, And for me, you know, social media is... Uh, a playground for so many people, but then they forget they have objectives they need to accomplish for their business, right? And so a lot of times people will kind of put it off, like social media is only a playground. But, you know, I know farmers that are doing really important stuff in like reels or TikToks or whatever, and trying to help people understand where their food's coming from and the kind of people who are taking care of these animals and all that stuff. And sure, you know, they may have a lot of fun with like, you know, text messages from my spouse, if that's the current reel or TikTok of the week, (laughs) but it's a lot of fun, right? To then have them joining in in the midst of it with the inspirational post Mm -hmm. and things. So, I think, you know, you have to, for me, I found out I'm in my fifties and to be this much in social media is probably kind of odd for somebody that's, I'm still Gen X though. I'm not, I'm not a boomer, but, (laughs) um, but you know, it's a lot of people don't want to take the time to learn something that's that new and being an entrepreneur, don't do it if you're not willing to learn new stuff because you've got to figure out what's important. And Maybe TikTok is not important for your business. Great. Then don't worry anymore once you figured out it's not for your business. But find those things that are or that can make a difference, whether mm-hmm. it's a Spotify playlist or whatever it is. You know, there's yeah. there's so many unique ways to reach out to people through communications and keep your name and your business in their mind. Yeah. It's so many, it's such it's, it's out there. So many ways you can creative and figure out what you really like, but you also got to find out where the people are. And I think that's another advantage to having like the the, the capabilities of social media. Um, yep. Chef Anthony, um, I always say this: I love watching Top Chef and Chef Ramsay and all these cooking shows. Everyone loves watching cooking shows, uh, but you know it looks fun. You know, it looks fun to be able to cut things up. And but I know it may look fun, um, but I know that it's hard work. There's hours put behind it. You know, you're in the kitchen all the time. I mean, there is it's a, it's an ongoing thing, and so like. In, the, in your space, you know, just coming off of your conversation, doing with the way you're handling your restaurant, there's a lot of passion behind it. So I think you kind of push through because your passion is there. Um, you know, for you, like, I know you say learning and getting back, you know, learning from others really kind of what prepared you for your app. But like, what were some of your own struggles that you had, even when it was deciding to even open the <laughs> restaurant or just really take this whole concept um, to the next level? Well, I think starting out, you know, the... I mean, the hardest thing is getting money. <laughs> and I think that that's a, a basic thing. You know, the margins in restaurants, which I think uh, when I was a young cook, I didn't understand. You know, you you saw it's like, oh, well, we're doing 300 covers tonight. You know, these, he's got to be making money. And it's like, that's not the way that it works <laughs> at all. You know, yeah. you got products and most of all, you got payroll, you know, and I remember being, you know, cooking and just loving to cook and and. I had a job at a hotel and I, that made me realize I was like, this isn't work. This, this is like, this is, this is terrible. This is not, 
fun. This is, uh, you know, I'm a pretty fun, loose person. And it's like, I, I don't think I love what I do anymore. Like, this is really crabby. And I remember coming when I came home, I remember when I worked in San Francisco and it was like, you don't work overtime. Like when the restaurant is like, you don't work overtime at Zuni, you, you get your, you know, you work your 40 hours a week and that's the deal. You can plan on that. But I also remember being like, you know, the pay in San Francisco isn't a whole lot better than the pay in St. Louis and oh, wow. the price of living is, yeah, you know, four times the, the, uh, the amount, hmm. you know? So I remember coming home being like, oh man, I really, everybody's going to get two days off a week. Nobody's going to work a six day work week. If you can't get it done in five days, you shouldn't be doing it. And <laughs> there's, you know, there's always a thing, well, you're the owner and there's all, you know, you're always kind of on the clock as they say and whatever. And that's cool. But you can't kill these people that work for you. Yeah, you know, they, they lose, they lose their passion and then they do crappy work to be pretty frank about it, you know? And then it kind of gets into the thing of, oh man, what if I get sick? Healthcare is a huge issue for all restaurants, uh, dining, coffee houses, whatever, the whole uh, farmers, everybody. And you're there and you don't have any healthcare and you're busting your ass every day. Yeah. And it's hot, it's slippery, it's, you know, there's, you use knives, it's like, and you don't, there's no healthcare? Like, what do I, you know, I gotta, if I cut myself, it's coming out of my pocket I really... to get things figured out, you know, and that's, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of a big one. And then kind of with healthcare, I mean, you get a lot of, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of mental health issues that, that go around the restaurant world, drug use, alcoholism. Uh. Yeah. That are every, those are everyday things that people deal with every day. And yeah. I mean, there's one way you can get through a 12 or 14 or 16 hour shift. And that's, you know, a couple of beers or, you know, whatever it takes to get you going. And then a couple of beers is you got those couple of beers and then you got a couple of beers after yeah. work. And then it's like, mm -hmm. Hey, we feel pretty good. You know, you just worked a 12 hour shift and you did great. What are you guys doing later? Let's go get some beers. And then before you know it, you're, uh, you know, hammered and then it's, you got to go back to work and you're like, Oh, you know, and it's, a, it's kind of a vicious cycle that kind of yeah. keeps happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, in, in the long hours and, and that kind of stuff, you know, it's hard on your mental health. It's hard on your family. Uh, you know, I, I'm lucky because I'm, my support crew is great. You know, I have, I have a great family and my folks worked with me for years, you know, throughout the restaurant. So um, it, it's cool. And I live down the street. So like I walk home. Yeah. One of the, one of the other big reasons I've started gardens and, and that kind of stuff is it, for me, that's therapy for me. Yeah. I get out, I, uh, you know, yeah. get the fresh air, get the vitamin D, you know, and, and it feels great. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's definitely some, some struggles in, in the restaurant biz. Yeah. I was gonna say is I, I definitely know it's not the product of what we get as consumers a good food is I know it's a lot of hard work that it goes beyond just the kitchen, but you're dealing with, you know, people are still people and there are stresses. And especially if you're a business owner of a restaurant, you're dealing with all that on top of your own personal stresses. Yeah. And I know. mean, prices in the restaurant world haven't really changed in the last 20 years. I mean, you know, it's not, things are not getting more expensive with well, how the living situations are going. It's kind of staying the same, you know, because people don't want to spend too much on, on this or a sandwich should cost this much. Yeah. You know, I would always get really pissed when people are like, Oh, your food's very expensive. And it's like, how do you know how much my food that's, you don't yeah. pay the bills. Like, how do you know if it's expensive or not? 
is that there's a there's a certain amount of work that goes into this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love hearing all that, what's going on. What, what are your thoughts behind, with the chef that owns a restaurant behind the scenes? Yeah, it's things that people don't really see on the front end of it. And there is, again, the whole point of our conversation is to talk about we know all of these different things. We probably know what we're getting ourselves into, but you get into our passions, what helps to push us through and, you know, um, continue our mission. So we are getting to the very, very last hint. I want to make a quick, quick, like quick uh, response because uh, I want to get some of your thoughts and some of your words that you'll give to others. But uh, I know we only have a few moments. So I'm going to go quickly down the list, Janice. You know, what, what would be something, you know, we, we talk about the people that are listening, you know, what would be your words of encouragement to help other people start finding ways to contributing to, you know, help Anything when it comes to sustainability practice, whether it's agriculture, whether it's you know supporting a local farmer, like what would be something quick that you would say for someone to start doing? I would encourage people to maybe grow their own herbs, maybe tomatoes if you're really feeling crazy, and if nothing else, think about water a little bit differently. Like, be careful with how much water you use. You know, don't just leave the sink running all day. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't need that really long hot shower, maybe a shorter hot shower is okay. And think about when you're when you're traveling and all those things, can you eliminate some plastic bottles? Like I carry a big mug with me almost everywhere I go so that I can refill it with water at any stop instead of buying more water, yeah. mainly because all the plastic bottles and stuff get to me after a point. So little mm. things like that add up. Yeah. Yep. Great reminders. Great reminders. Chef, um, again, being in the, uh, in the restaurant industry and going in the direction you're going, uh, what would be ways you can help people to recognize the bigger picture when it comes to practice sustainability uh, so they can be more intentional moving forward? Well, for me, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a buy local person through and through. So I would say buy local. I'm going to piggyback off Janice and say, grow something. I think there's nothing that makes you feel better as a person, as a human, is when you see that tomato that you can get a hold of and make a sandwich out of or eat with some lettuce or that you've grown or anything. Just, you know, take care of your mental health, get outside, uh, Buy local, support your community, get, get to know the people that are there. That's yeah. and not to be ridiculous. That's how you get deals. I mean, if you go <laughs> and you talk to your you talk to your local farmer, you know, and you're the one that wants the bok choy, he'll save you some. Or, or that's uh, <laughs> pe- people like that stuff. They like don't, that you love what they do. Also, don't give away your tips now. We may end up not having some of your bok choy. <laughs> no, not. I'm all right. They'll, they'll <laughs> I buy enough stuff. They'll, they'll yeah. take care of me. They'll hopefully. still look out for you. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jessica, um, what would you like to see people do in efforts to preserve our land and resources? I would say, yeah, like think twice before you go buy, you know, that next piece of clothing. If you're going to buy it new, you know, buy it from uh-huh. a brand that's doing something sustainable or, you know, trying to have better practices in the fashion industry or buy it used, you know, it's also another great way to snag a deal. Um, and then when you're done with, you know, any of your clothing, donate it or sell it or give it away. Don't ever throw it away. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, there you go, guys. We hopefully you got a couple of tidbits and simple ways you can start off just within your home. Doesn't have to go out 
pass outside of your home to start some of these sustainability practices. Um, we're about to head out, but I want to give everyone one last opportunity to just tell us where to reach you, how we can learn about you, your, your, your organization, your company, your restaurant, so that we can find a way to contribute. Um, Janice, I'll start with you. How can people reach out to you and learn more about your podcast and all the different things that you're doing? And follow you. Yeah, so my my podcast is Grounded by the Farm, and the website's groundedbythefarm.com. You can find it almost anywhere. But um, on the website, we put photos and videos to kind of bring the podcast to life after you've listened to it. Okay, great, great. Uh, Shelf, Anthony, how can people find where you're at and uh, get some of that good food over there? Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Jay Devotee is the handle for both. Uh, and then uh, jdevotee.com. We're on the hill, uh, 5100 Daggett. So yeah, yeah, it's great. Easy to get to. Yeah. Easy to get to. Well, when I go, I will um, ask if you're there, and so we can see each other and meet each other. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm yeah. always there. So I'm yeah. usually, I'm actually usually cooking. So I'm not out wandering um, around typically, but gotcha. I'll show you the gardens, and you can come check it out. I'd oh love yeah. It. Okay. I'll hold you to that because I, I'm, I'm a big person on it. I would love to. Yeah. I'll probably give you yeah, a heads but, up so that way you know you can kind of wouldn't you know want to stop in the middle of your your cooking. So yeah, I'll give you a heads cool. up. You bet. Yeah. And Jessica, how can people learn more about Mount Indigo? Get some of those cute teas. I saw your sassy, sustainable tea state. Wait, sassy, sustainable statement teas. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get me a couple of them. So let us know how we can find not just what your products, but your mission and how people can be a part of that. So, yeah, you can find me on my website at www.mountindigo.com. And that's spelled out M-O-U-N-T indigo.com. And then on Instagram and Facebook, mostly on Instagram, I need to get my Facebook up more, but um, also at Mount Indigo. Okay. All right. Okay. There you have it, guys. You got every way that you can reach out to these individuals and support them in their efforts of sustainability. Um, I do want to say, guys, thank you for being a part of the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was great. Yeah. Such a pleasure, such a unique way. It's, 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 a, it's, I say that it was a different, everyone's come from different places, but they're not. And that's just the fun, that's the, beauty, that's the beauty of it. So I'm glad we're all having a common thread when it comes to our earth and how can we um, keep it being flourished. So as we're getting ready, I want to also kind of keep um, this conversation going um, and talk again about my uh, podcast partner who oversees and make sure this particular panel is a part of um, the conversation that's going on. Um, I want to leave you with another quick video on how dairy farmers are leading the way to sustainability practices from the farm to the land to the community. See how dairy farmers will continue to grow their green thumb and grow sustainability practice. Talk to you guys soon and see you next month. So thanks for being a part of their stories, their struggles, and their successes. Because of the work of the local dairy farmers and efforts from Midwest Dairy, we were able to bring more monthly conversations to you from mindful leaders that can be able to come to the table and tell you about their own path that can inspire you. So be on the lookout for next month's panel, Conversations with Mindful Leaders. See you next month.